0: Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in I lose you That's a boss move, maneuver, billionaire, entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer. put you rookies on a skewer I say shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me, I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaron. What is up, guys? News, news, news. news. <laughs> yes, sir. Donovan Mitchell has been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Laurie Markkinen, Ochai Akbaji, um, three unprotected uh, first-round picks, two pick swaps, and I'm missing one, uh, one person. One help me out, help me out, help me out. Uh, the guy, the guy that we so prolonged for. Oh yes, I don't know how I could forget about this. And Colin this Sexton, Sexton in a sign and trade where he was signed and traded for uh, four years, seventy-two million dollars in return for Donovan Mitchell. This is the landmark blockbuster, whatever you want to call it, deal that we've sort of been waiting for all summer here, especially with the Kevin Durant saga coming to to um, just an unexpected end here. Um, just at face value here, Jaron. Uh, what are your general thoughts on this huge move for the um, the Cavs and the Jazz? So uh, I think like no team loses
1: here. Both teams got what they wanted. Donovan Mitchell, uh, I mean, let's be real here. The Cavaliers are now real contenders in the East, uh, assuming that they keep on their trend of last year. And uh, there's, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. It's going to be fun to watch them. I feel like they're going to be a fun game to watch. And for Utah, Utah trade assets on top of trade assets for them and now they're accumulating some draft picks so for their future it looks bright uh you know you just picked up con sexton you have four years on his deal we'll see what he turns into he'll pretty much be a solo guy on this team it looks like um so excited to see yeah, what they're he in turns the win
0: bomb yama sweepstakes
1: yes exactly like they they join teams i guess now oklahoma city uh, spurs san antonio and now utah um for that victor woman sweep stakes. so we'll see what happens um again bright future for utah uh i saw something that they could accumulate as many as like 15 to 20 or something draft picks if all goes right here um so yeah like i said like we'll see but again i don't
0: think any team loses here what do you think i would definitely agree uh win-win for both scenarios we'll analyze the trade a little bit further as we get into the podcast here after the intro correct um And just sort of the Knicks um, not getting (laughs) in on the deal, which was really interesting. Um, But then, you know, the main subtopic of what we're going to be getting into today, obviously, is going to be how can the Mavericks get in on this um, Utah fire sale that is happening currently? And are they going to be outbid? And which one of the three veterans left on Utah, uh, maybe even four if you want to count Malik Beasley, between Malik Beasley, Bojan Bogdanovic, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, would be most applicable for this Mavericks team, would fit the best, um, would be the easiest to reroute to Dallas in a trade, things of that nature. We're going to be all into that today. And obviously Luca also played um, versus Lithuania in Eurobasket the other day for Slovenia. Um, Had not the best game, but um, we'll talk a little bit about that, but that'll be more centered for tonight's podcast. But for today's podcast, we're just going to be diving all into this Donovan Mitchell trade. Pretty crazy day in the NBA yesterday. So we just want to hash all that out. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so before we go ahead and get into some of like the more mavs centric connotations of this deal, Jaren, um, just how does this move the needle for Cleveland? Um, first off, like where do you see them projecting next year after this move? And what are your thoughts on Luka Doncic basically effective, effectively setting the Jazz into a rebuild? Like what do you how how much significance do you bear to all that? So let me start out with this Utah Jazz thing. Um,
1: I I think it was like like realistically it was a looming thing. I think in Jazz fans' sites, I think that they knew this was pretty much going to be last year, if not second to last year. With with at least Quinn Snyder, I don't think that they were going to blow up the whole roster quite yet. Um, but yeah, I mean Luka Doncic. I uh, got to give credit to Jalen Brunson too. Uh, they went in there, and pretty much uh, was a game three where they kind of came back with like 20 seconds left. Yeah, I think it was like other than game three. I think it was pretty much dominated. Oh, was game four. Game four. But game four. Yeah, yeah, uh, is pretty much dominated by Dallas Mavericks the whole entire time. Yeah, I guess it was game four. Um, but yeah, I guess centering this back into Cleveland, you know, Cleveland was kind of the team. Uh, uh, you know, they're definitely a playoff team before this trade happened. I just think it was, you know, are are they at that next level where they could possibly push into that second round uh, Eastern Conference Finals? And at the end of the day, are they they, uh, contenders? And that was a clear no. After this trade, I think you can definitively say this team is ready to make a finals push. And I think that they are real threats in the East now, which which adds to the East, I guess, building of a I don't want to quite say a powerhouse. But the East is coming back in a big way. Yeah, the conferences are
0: definitely evening out. But to your point there, like I thought some of the interesting things when I was listening to the Hoop Collective earlier, with Brian Windhorst and, you know, Tim Bontemps and Tim McMahon were pretty adamant that they thought the Cavs might not even be a playoff team. So it seems the national opinion on them is sort of mixed um, pre-Mitchell trade in the sense that, like, you know, they are really young. They don't have the biggest wing depth in the world. But, um, you know, I still thought that they were a playoff team regardless. Like, I didn't think that was in question, especially with the, you know, addition of Akbaji before he got traded. Yeah. And I think that bolstered their winged up a lot. Um, and, you know, Garland's only going to get better. Um, Mobley's only going to become more prominent. So, I didn't think it was a question of whether they were a playoff team uh, or not. I was right there with you that they would at least be in that six to eight range at the bare minimum. I mean, before Jared Allen got hurt, they were a four seed. Like, most yeah, of last year. Yeah, I think they were people discount team, that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that, that given this roster stays healthy, if they could, uh, you know, maybe flip one of their guys for another wing or something like that. I mean, this is – I mean, this is a team that can rival the Bucs and, you know, whatever this Nets Boston. team is, I guess, too, and, Boston, the, and like, the Celtics.
1: Like, who, who do you think are the four teams now? You got to throw Boston. I guess Brooklyn's back in the talks. Um, for sure, Milwaukee and
0: Cleveland now. Like, that's really, I think, it. I think there's an argument to be made there that with Scottie Barnes ascension okay. and all that sort of stuff that the Raptors could push up into there. But um, as of currently, I really don't see anybody else who I'd be willing to include in that top four. Really? Really um, even Philly. I think Philly can push for that. Oh yeah. Four. Phil. Ah, I completely forgot about Philly. Yeah. I, I didn't uh, yeah if we're, if we're considering Philly, I think Philly could get to top four. Yeah. The, uh, the East is definitely deeper, but I think those at least are the six best, best teams in the East. And then, Everybody below that is a little bit of a tear down, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. No, this is bad, Jaron. This is bad. We forgot Miami. about the heat. We forgot about the heat. <laughs> the East is deep, man. <laughs> Dude, the East is deep, bro.
1: Wow. We forgot about Miami.
0: Damn. Yeah. No, yeah. No. Wow. This, this. I mean, they're honestly rivaling the West in terms of how even the conferences are, which is really good for the NBA in terms of. You know, I think both of our opinions are pretty strong in that we don't believe the NBA should. Join conferences. Um, that's not as strong as my beliefs in terms of the midseason tournament not being instilled, though. I am very much against that, but no, I I mean, the east is actually really deep, and it's really cool to see how the tables on the power dynamic has sort of shifted in the NBA. Um, and I mean, you know, it's like seven deep in the east that you know, you see those seven teams, you're like, okay, those are like definitive playoff teams, like who's going to be pining for that eighth, you know. For that eight seed, you know the Knicks are going to be in there. I'd say, yeah, Knicks, um, yeah, maybe the Wizards, uh, teams like that. Uh, I don't know how the Hornets are going to be faring this year, given um, Miles Bridges. But no, it's really cool to look at. And um, Jaron, what were you doing as the Donovan Mitchell news broke yesterday? His- yeah, so I
1: his- would actually just made my lunch, and um, don't question because I do believe that the Donovan Mitchell trade happened at like five or four, and I was making a lunch at that time. Um. But yeah, I was turning on Game of Thrones, you know, with the new Game of Thrones series coming out. I was like, okay, let's let's actually watch it because I haven't ever really watched it before. So I was like, let's watch it. Um, And now, you know, I'm sitting down uh, about to literally turn on the TV show. And, you know, notification pops up from Woj. I was like, okay, it's probably just like another ESPN story or whatever. I see Cleveland Cavaliers and I was like, I thought for sure it was going to be ESPN story. And then I see Donovan Mitchell's name in that tweet. And you see the official words that he has been traded to Cleveland. And you are like, wow, what the hell just happened? Um, you know, it, it was always, always, always Utah, Utah and New York. They were always the teams centered around Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I mean, Utah for obvious reasons. And then New York, they always had interest. And so to see Cleveland come in there uh, was definitely a little weird. But according, I, I don't know who wrote this story, but apparently – uh, Utah and Cleveland had had trade talks about Donovan Mitchell weeks prior and they were like real, they were going places and they kind of both mutually agreed to pause uh, and go on, I guess, like a little vacation uh, as teams, as we, as we did see nothing really happened. Um And clearly, I mean, they picked it right back up and now Donovan Mitchell's in Cleveland.
0: Yeah. So you know, I've also, I saw, also saw another story floating around that, you know, around the time of the draft, the, Jazz had offered this package to the Knicks um, or it offered like this trade proposal to the Knicks and the Knicks effectively declined. um, Which like in this version, uh, the Jazz would have got an absolute haul for Donovan Mitchell. And I think it was um, Donovan Mitchell for RJ Barrett, OB Toppin and Quentin Grimes and like three first round picks and uh, like two pick swaps in the, Knicks declined and it almost seemed as if the Knicks had like, you know, an ample amount of opportunities to get this deal done at certain points over the last week. Um, from what we could see, they, they were negligent towards including another pick and then the whole RJ Barrett, uh, extension thing kind of messed things up. Um, but it seems like there, there were plenty of opportunities for the Knicks to get this done and for Jalen Brunson to have a running mate of Donovan Mitchell as the Knicks fast forward into the future as a, you know, potentially prominent Eastern conference, um, Playoff team. Um, What were your thoughts on the Knicks front office um, inability to get this deal done? And do you think that they, because I mean, they had eight first round picks um, like that were applicable to be traded, which was really more than anybody else could offer. They definitely had the assets. Um, They just, I think the Knicks treated this as if they had the power and the negotiations when, at the end of the day, the Jazz had Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, they're holding the leverage. And I think, you know, this is maybe malpractice on the Knicks parts in terms of, Um, I mean, I guess we'll see maybe six, seven years down the line, how this trade all pans out, but at face value, this looks as if it's severe malpractice by the Knicks in terms of um, being able to, um, you know, make the swing for a superstar. Now I could eat my words on that. And the Knicks could have a superstar here in the next couple months. If somebody else becomes available like a Bradley Beal or something like that. But what are your general thoughts on the Knicks not being able to swing a trade for Donovan Mitchell?
1: Yeah. Okay. Before I answer that, I just thought about this. Atlanta's in the East as well, so I don't know. Oh, I don't know how applicable they are in terms of contending talks, but that's another team to be. No, they're a playoff team. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyways, as you said, um, I it, it kind of seemed like it was kind of Utah that was like ready for the New York Knicks to put up a good offer, and it seemed like the Knicks just weren't ready to do that. Um, it seemed like it was the balls in the Knicks court, and all they had to do was just maybe cough up one more first-round pick or whatever it was. Uh, Clearly, it was unable to get done. Um, I think New York kind of just got fed up. And what was it, like a Monday 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. deadline or something like that, and they pretty much just cut off all trade talks with Utah. And Utah was like, all right. And uh, I, I think arguably, I don't know about a better deal, but I think that they still got a pretty huge haul for Donovan Mitchell. Um, but yeah, I mean, what would that do for New York? New York would be really good. Uh, you know, a two dynamic duo in that backcourt of uh Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson would be um, well let me preface they they sure as hell aren't playing any defense, but no, I, they're <laughs> not yeah, this would be a non-defense team, especially if Mitchell Robinson was included in that deal. Um but my but they would be really good on offense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, clearly, you know, it didn't happen. Cleveland now has acquired Donovan Mitchell. Um, and it seemed like Utah was just ready for New York to, I guess, cough up another first-round pick, and clearly that didn't get done. So, they're they, they, were, they were ready to move on.
0: hundred um, percent. So, yeah, just sending shockwaves throughout the NBA on a um, Thursday afternoon. But glad the deals got done. So, now we can kind of move forward. Let's see if the Mavericks – get anything done before training camp, that's what we are going to be getting into in our next segment. So in your opinion, Jaron, who do you think out of the, I guess, four veterans that the Jazz have right now would be the best fit on the Mavericks team, um, just in terms of like their tradable guys that we don't really foresee um, being uh, synonymous with this current Jazz roster. So if we look across the board here, we got Malik Beasley, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, and Bojan Bogdanovich. Who do you think would fit the best with the Mavericks? Don't take into consideration contracts or what it would take to get them or anything. Who do you just, just think bad. fits the best with the Mavericks? Um, That's a tough question.
1: Um, I, It's between Conley or Beasley, I think. Um, Beasley and or, uh, Conley, I know you didn't say like contracts or anything, but Mike Conley, like I don't think you have to give up much assets to get him. They're um, like, I guess, much important assets to get him. Um Malik Beasley, I think he's a guy that could level up into that starting role. Uh I don't think he will. I think he'll be like kind of a bench guy. Um pure score. I mean that he's good. He knows the game of basketball. He's re- like I, I like him in the sense of uh he'd be that controlling guy off the bench. Um Boyan, I mean that just adds wing depth. Uh I think he would start at that point over Reggie and this team would be amazing in terms of wings if we added Boyan With Jordan Clarkson, uh, I think this one's a little interesting. I like it. Um, Clarkson off the bench, I think, clearly just off the bench. I think he might be the best guy. Um, just because he can score, he can kind of have a little a little bit of playmaking. Um, I guess it's just what the Mavericks are looking for. Uh, I, it's hard to categorize this like into one guy that I want. The most, or what would be the best? Like I think that's a tough question to ask. Um, they all just do different things, but I, I like you. You have to get a ball handling this. Like I think if you're a Mavericks, I, I think you kind of roll out Boyan. If you can get him in a two person deal, sure. Like that would be that would be a pretty good load to get either Conley or Clarkson, including Boyan.
0: But then in that like, scenario, you'd probably have to be giving up two first. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, so. I mean, you know, if you're getting Conley and Bojan, those are just like two massive contracts. So, so I just don't know how the math would work out. I think you'd have to ship out both THJ and Bertons to even get the money yeah, to even, yeah, like be able to work there. And you know, you know, Conley is kind of used a negative asset, so maybe you only have to give up one first in that scenario, but. At the end of the day, is that also the best package the Jazz could net for both of those guys? So, you know, there's a lot of different connotations towards that. But I will say to your point about Jordan Clarkson, a lot of Mass fans would say, well, Clarkson may be the best, you know, or more the most highly touted player among those four in terms of teams wanting to make trades for him. Is his presence redundant by Tim Hardaway Jr. off the bench to a certain degree versus like a Mike Conley who? can be more of a playmaker, can run an offensive system, um, is, is better in the pick and roll versus a guy that's just a pure bucket getter, which in a sense is kind of what Tim is. You know, Sure, Clarkson adds a little more dynamicism in terms of his ability to facilitate, but at the same time, he's still not a guy who comes in and you know necessarily runs the offense. He's a guy that comes in um, and creates shots for himself. So do you think that Jordan Clarkson – while maybe being the better player, it would be a worse fit than a Mike Conley per se.
1: Yeah. Like, I like how you said, uh, you know, Jordan Clarkson definitely has the biggest name out of these four. You know, I think any, uh, no disrespect, like, I think any casual fan would look at that and be like, Jordan Clarkson for sure. Um,
0: but at the end of the day,
1: it's fit, and Mike Conley fits what we need. Uh, like, I think personally, okay, like, if I were going to take one, I'd rather have Mike Conley. I think you get less – Trade assets. Um, I, I don't feel like you'd have to give up a first necessarily in that deal, depending on who's in it. Um, you know, you get a veteran guy. He's thirty-four years old. It didn't have the best year last year. It kind of, in a way, I I don't want to say ruin Utah's chances of winning that playoff series versus Dallas, but in a way, he he was kind of an X factor that just wasn't wasn't what Utah needed to win. Uh, he's definitely going to be the guy that gets shipped out in this scenario. Uh, but I think Mike Conley, you know, he just fits the best. He's old, he's veteran. Um, you know, we've been, I, I think as Mavericks, like we've been pining for years to get this guy. Um, and, you know, this is probably the best opportunity we've, I think this might be the best opportunity we've had. Um, and yeah, I mean, defense, uh, you know, we don't have really much defense to bring off the bench minus Maxi, uh, And that's a little, you can debate that. So, I think Mike Conley, you know, coming off the bench, he would definitely lead that bench role. Uh, he definitely become that third ball handler,
0: and I would be very, very comfortable with Mike Conley coming off the bench as a third ball handler. No, me too. I think he got a lot of shade last year because I think Mike Conley's at a stage in his career where he just needs a slightly more reduced role. Reduced, yeah. I would definitely concur with the fact that he did not help whatsoever in the Jazz's playoff series versus the Mavericks, and he was a definitely like a complete no-show in the sense that, He just a lot of like clunker games. He couldn't just seem to get any sort of rhythm and he just didn't seem like himself out there. But if Mike Conley's only playing about 20 ish, maybe 25 minutes a game, it decreases the pressure that he has on himself to um, go out there and perform at a, you know, extremely high clip and have to, you know, carry a high usage percentage like he has in years past. I mean, sure, he wasn't the primary ball handler in that team. A Jazz team, but he's definitely a secondary ball handler, you know, next to Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, if the Mavericks were able to swing a trade for him, I think that would just be a win-win scenario in the the sense that Conley's getting, you know, a more reasonable workload to have to um, get accustomed to, um, especially given his age. And the Mavericks are getting a guy that can come and fill a void for 15 to 25 minutes every night and, you know, still be a really suitable wall handler. Um, Just looking up some of his stats, I mean, Conley still averaged almost 14 points a game, shot over 40% from three last year. Um, And because of his, you know, his kind of like, and he played 72 games. Like that's really good for a guy who's had some injury problems throughout his career. I would be, I would be comfortable with him
1: starting a few of those games because, again, I mean, I think it's without a doubt Luca is probably gonna be out for 20-ish games this season. Uh or like I guess any given season. Um, and so in just those 10 games that like Conley would probably start, like I would be comfortable with that. Uh let's say Luca did get hurt, I would be comfortable.
0: And it's even like more amplified, you know, in my opinion, at least like a sense and an urgency to be able to go get a guy like that, given his trade value so low right now, his recent, you know, just the way Conley ended the season and the way the jazz ended the season, his stock, he, he's almost used a negative asset right now, which, you know, I get his age, but he is in the last year of a contract. It's, um, I think it's 24 million due to him and not all of it's even guaranteed. I think only maybe like 17. Now I need to verify this, but only about 17 ish somewhere around there, millions guaranteed on that deal. So this is a, I think that this is the Mavericks' best opportunity to add another ball in or outside of maybe, you know, a Kobe White scenario that they could do before yeah. training camp, in my opinion. Um, but circling back to, like, Malik Beasley and Jordan Clarkson, while I don't think that their fit is, like, completely redundant with Tim Hardaway Jr., I just think that, you know, both of those guys not being necessarily, you know, particularly Jordan Clarkson, not being necessarily the best defender. Sure, Mike Conley isn't – you know, a second-team all-defensive player like he used to be. But, I mean, he still competes really hard despite, you know, only being about one on that end. And, you know, he is a really savvy defender given his age. And mm-hmm. I don't think that he would be a minus defender by any means, just maybe not the, you know, overtly all-NBA defender that he used to be. But that's not to say that he can't still be a good defender in the league. Um, and I think, you know, with, you run into the problems with that with Beasley and Clarkson um i think car- uh beasley you know while he's maybe more of a scorer in the sense of he's not able to you know create shots for himself in the same way that car uh clarkson does they're very similar players and you know i'd probably take beasley for the age he's about 5 years younger than clarkson um but both of them are not really moving the needle in terms of playmaking and defense um at the point guard position or you know rather just ball handler position for the mavericks Hence why I would like uh, Conley over them because he's just gonna come at a much cheaper rate. And he's not going to, you know, be a complete black hole in defense. Mm-hmm. Nor in, you know, he's shown the ability to not have to have the ball in his hands to be completely effective, which I feel like the other two guys to an extent have to do, but you know, Clarkson more so than Beasley. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the, you know, the sort of three ball hit noise that the Jazz have and who your favorite would be or who's the best fit.
1: Yeah, okay. Best fit Mike Conley. Um, I just think the most potential is Beasley. I Agreed. think you have to give up you have to give him up or I guess you have to give the most to get him. Um, and for Conley you have to give I think the least out of all four of these guys to get him. Uh, so I think just from value perspective, I think Conley's the guy uh, good veteran off the bench and you know everything we just mentioned. Uh, Malik Beasley, though, definitely, I think, has the most potential to start. Minus Bogdanovich, I think Bogdanovich is a given starter
0: if we did get him, just because of like the role he would play on the Mavericks. Not necessarily yeah. he's the best player.
1: No, 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 no yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just think from you know point guard perspective, I think Beasley is the best po- chance of starting. Um, but yeah, again, like I, I don't really think it's a starting thing. Like I think I think we need. That guy off the bench that, you know, is sure fire. He's going to give you whatever he's going to give you. And, like, we need consistency. I think Conley gives that and defensive and also veteran presence off the bench. I feel like Conley's the best choice here. I
0: would agree. So, let's say the Mavericks did some sort of, like, two-for-one trade here, right? Or maybe even a two-for-two two trade. But if they were to ship out Tim in one of these deals and then package that with, like, a Dwight Power or Batons, per se, and then take back two of the Jazz's ball handlers, like a Conley and a Beasley, or a Conley and a Clarkson. Does that make you a lot more excited for how one of Beasley or Clarkson would fit for the Mavericks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, both those guys coming off the bench, I feel like would be, uh, like, really good. I mean, you get scoring in Clarkson. You get a uh, presence and i mm-hmm. guess smartness and uh conley and even with Malik beasley let's say he was starting in there uh you know you got to take one of those guys out of course but you know beasley was in there that's a guy like i think he could work up in that starting role similar to how christian wood would um you know it, it would kind of create a hole in terms of wings for the mavericks Yeah, But, again, I think you can argue Jordan Clarkson. Let's say you give up Tim Hardaway Jr. You get Jordan Clarkson. Um, Just that swap alone, I think you kind of replace Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, No offense. I just think you replace him with a better guy.
0: Um, Agreed. I think you're getting a similar player, but just a better version of Tim Hardaway Jr. that you know is going to be more effective versus Tim, who has shown at times that he can be really effective in certain seasons, but also times where he's been uh, largely inconsistent.
1: No, yeah. The inconsistency is a big deal. And I don't think you get that in Clarkson. I think Clarkson he's gonna give you uh, you know, whatever whatever uh it is. I, like and it's gonna be high, high scoring. Um I just think he does what tomorrow way junior does, but better. Uh and you know, getting Conley in that deal is just really a sweetener. Uh Conley or Beasley in that deal is really a sweetener. Just because, you know, you not only have, I guess you replace the wing. Uh, capabilities, wing guard capabilities of Tim Hardaway Jr. with Clarkson. Um, but you also get Conley, who's going
0: to be that for sure third ball ball handler. No, I would definitely agree. And um, the one thing I will say about Beasley compared to the other two guys is that I think this is more, maybe more applicable under like the Carlisle regime. But, you know, when the Mavericks are always, you know, pining and looking to surround Luka with shooters, I think... You know, numbers aside, I have not looked at the numbers, but I would assume me, Malik Beasley is probably a better spot-up shooter. And, you know, is better just as a catch-and-shoot guy than those other two guys. Um, and, you know, doesn't really need the ball in his hands as much, but, you know, we're looking at this based on the Mavericks roster needs, and they need creation right now. They have lots of guys that can spot-up shoot, you know, especially if they keep Davis Bretons. Um, even Christian Wood can do it um, to an extent, which I think a lot of, Mavs fans are severely underlooking so they have spot up shooting it's just with this Mavericks roster it's a matter of the fact of if they you know can find that next creator that next ball handler that's really going to be able to bolster um, their ball handler rotation and be able to allow guys like Luca and Dinwiddie to just get a little bit of rest and not have to carry as much of a workload because we could see that easily taking a toll on them at some point in the season where we could see Luca and or Dinwiddie both getting hurt because of the amount of um, energy they're expending, which, you know, I hope isn't the case, but you know, it's not something that's completely far-fetched. Um, you know, so, you know, given that, we've talked about the three guards on the jazz. These are all guys that we think could be available now that the jazz have shipped out Donovan Mitchell And they're kind of in full rebuild, retool mode, whatever you want to call it. These are guys that just don't really fit their current slate or roster. Um, So lastly, you know, given – let's let's talk about Bojan Bogdanovic. He's 34. Yeah. Um, He's the only wing, really, out of these three. Um, I think Bojan, by a lot of NBA, you know, he's Eastern European white guy. You know, it's no secret. Everybody kind of will throw the whole, oh, he can't play defense. But, you know, from just, you know, I did see something about his defensive rating being really bad. But from what I've watched from him, and even from what I saw in the Mavericks and Jazz series, it's just my personal opinion. I would honestly label him as a slightly above average defender. I don't think he's, you know, an athletic freak or anything like that. I think he yeah. is, you know, a bit of an underrated athlete. He's not completely terrible on that. End. But I think Boyan is, like, a decent one-on-one defender, and he has good intangibles, and he moves his feet well, contrary to – I think what a lot of people would assume. And, you know, there was times last year where, I mean, he played like really good defense on Luca in the uh, Mavericks versus jazz playoff series. And I think he gets labeled as this bad defender, you know, just because of his, um, you know, just being a European guy and all that sort of stuff. But I, you know, I honestly would put him at on um, maybe slightly above average defender, maybe a good defender. You know, I, I'm not saying he's all NBA or anything like that, but I don't think he's yeah. a complete black hole in that end. And, you know, no, I, he is a lot. Yeah, he is a lot older, but this is a guy that, you know, is really good at attacking off closeouts. He's able to get his own shot to an extent and a really good shooter, um, you know, given his age. I don't know how, you know. The reason I'd like Conley more so over him in this sense, given they're both, you know, older guys is because Conley feels that creation void more. And that's what the Mavericks most sorely need right now. But if they were able to get Bogdanovich, I would not be mad, especially if they were able to, you know, get both Bogdanovich and Conley. I mean, I don't know what they'd have to do to get that, you know. But if they were able to just get Bogdanovich, for instance, I think Bogdanovich is making around 18000000 million. We're not going over fake trades because we've already gone over a ton of Mavericks Jazz fake trades (laughs) uh, and pods and things of that nature. So you guys can do the math on that and send it to us. Uh, Maybe we'll have another pod just doing it again if things start to heat up here. And actually there's like some credence to the uh, fact that the Mavericks might be getting involved with the jazz, but what do you think uh, Bojan Bogdanovich's fit would be like on this Mavericks roster? And how many more years of Bojan Bogdanovich do you see if the Mavericks trade for him? Do you, you know, I think he is correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure he's on expiring. Yeah, he's expiring. Okay. Yeah. Um, how many more years do you think, the Mavericks could, you know, let's say they re-signed him. Like, how many more years do you think Bogdanovich has left being this sort of effective, sort of, like, dynamic player where he's able to do a little bit of everything? He's a really good shooter, pretty decent defender, and um, a decent guy in terms of being able to attack off closeouts, uh, have a little bit of a post-up game, and um, create some offense for himself. How many more years do you think he has of that in his career?
1: Yeah, you know, Bayon's one of those weird cases where – he kind of elevates his game throughout his career. Uh, you, yeah. And, you know, you say, like, okay, whatever. It's just the older he gets, um, and really, like, for that matter, like, he really only got, like, pretty good in his 30s. Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, like, he was
0: overseas for a large portion. He didn't really come to the NBA until I think his late 20s. I need to fact check that. But, yeah, but, again, like, he, you know, he was a guy that coming into the league, and, of course, I mean, there's a,
1: there's a difference coming from Euro to uh, the NBA, but – you know, coming into the league like he he was there, but he he didn't really do much. um you know the the more time he spends in the league, the more of a presence he has uh this year especially, I think this year my it was one of his best years, of course, minus last year um in uh, that uh I guess post bubble season, I guess you can call it. um but yeah, I mean, what bogdanovich brings you on the Mavericks is a a pure three and semi-D kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what you want to call defense. But he there. has a bit
0: of an offensive creation game, too. Like, you don't want to discount that. He's not just a pure three. Yeah, he's not just player. a pure, yeah. yeah. He like adds, he, he doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't say he's like, the you know, the third ball in order for the Mavericks, but he helps with that, you know? Yeah, and you know that you add that to the starting lineup,
1: let's assume Christian Wood's going to be starting soon. He has a little bit of a creative game to him, too. You know, you bring Christian Wood, Boyan Bogdanovich, Spencer Dinwoody, and including – Luka Doncic, like, that's that's a team that offense could be insane. Uh, and not to mention defense. Let's say Christian Wood buys in. Um, Bogdanovich has showed a little bit of defensive game. You know, you have Dorian. I think the wing coverage is pretty much locked up, especially with Christian Wood there. Um, you know, the front court or the back court, a little questionable there. But um, I, I think Boyan kind of brings – more dynamicism uh to the wing spot in terms of guys like really
0: Reggie and Reggie you know Reggie's a pure three and D guy. Yeah as um, as is Dorian. I mean Dorian can attack off close ass to an extent but you know Bogdanovich adds this post up game, you know, he's able to find guys in the pick and roll. Like this would just be something the Mavericks really don't have. He's he's a really like rare sort of player because there's yeah. not many like I guess you know if you're looking at like three and D players that have a offensive game outside of just being able to shoot, most of those guys are perennial all-stars like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Jason Tatum, things like that. Right. You don't see many of those guys in like that mid tier that are like three and D players, but you know, they're not quite, they don't have the offensive game or maybe the athleticism to be an all-star, but, at the same, and I'm not saying you know Bogdanovich is some god tier defensive player here. I'm just saying that that's the sort of mold in which he has to play in, you know, given his role as a wing in the NBA. Um, I also wanted to throw in that we uh we projected his age a little um off, we threw him in the same boat as Conley. Bogdanovich, I think, is actually only going to be 33 this next season, he was 32 this past season, so he's not quite as old as he thought. Oh, okay. came into the league when he was 25, played with Brooklyn. Um, then Toronto, or no, he played with Brooklyn for a little, then Washington, then Indiana before uh, getting shipped to Utah. So, okay.
1: All right. So, yeah, yeah he's been bounced on, not bounced around the league, but,
0: uh, he yeah, he's one of those
1: weird cases where the older he gets and like the older he gets. Yeah, no,
0: um, to your point there, um, in every single, I mean, year he's been in the league, but one from 2014 to 15 to, uh, 2019-20 season, he upped his points per game from uh, nine points his rookie season all the way up to 20.2 points with Utah that first year. I mean, that's that first year with Utah was, like, when he was 30, they, you know, they just signed him to that deal. Um, we were really pining for the Mavericks to get Bogdanovich in that uh, 2019 offseason. But, of course, we have the whole story of Donnie Nelson being with Chris Porzingis at dinner at midnight. Um, and that was just a big fiasco there. But, you know. I'm glad that's over with to an extent. Um, anyways, though, but yeah, no, B- B- Bogdanovich has um, he averaged 20.2 points per game that first year with Utah. When honestly, that's when that core of him, Mitchell, and Gobert was probably looking the best. Yeah, yeah, that was um, kind of just descended since. Um, this was this was the year of the bubble and COVID and everything. And then he still, you know, a year before last averaged 17 a game, this last year he averaged 18 a game, so. I mean, I still think he has at least maybe two, three more effective years. I think he at least has one or two more years at this sort of clip that he's producing at right now, which is, you know, as you said, he's kind of got better with age. He's aged like fine wine to an extent. I think he still has another year or two left in his prime. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I guess I never really did answer that question. Um, Left in his prime for sure, I think, given a solid year two um, of, I guess – you know, good production, I would probably put that around three to four. Um, and then yeah. after that, I think age definitely starts playing an effect there. Um, you know, without a doubt, I, you know, Bogdanovich is already that veteran guy who's gonna boast well in a locker room. Um, you know, minus play style and everything, like, you know, there's all positives that you get from Bogdanovich,
0: especially with Luka, uh,
1: oh, um, the European
0: ties. Yeah, no, I mean. Bogdanovich is Serbian. Am I correct on that? I know. Yeah. Is he I'm not sure I'm actually not sure. Let me let me fact check that real quick. But no, so yeah. yeah. No, just the locker room dynamic. I I'm you know, we already we always try to like say, oh, all the European guys are like cool with each other, but we've seen um okay, actually, no, he's Bosnian. That's kind of what I thought. But he okay. plays for the I want to say national team career. Hey, he plays for the Croatian national team. Um, he, you know, last played in the 2016 Olympics, but I don't think he, you know, given his age, I completely understand why he's not playing in Eurobasket and things of that nature right now. I don't blame him whatsoever. But, um, because, you know, obviously Croatia is fielding quite the squad this year in Eurobasket. Yeah. Um, we'll be getting into Eurobasket and Tyler Dur- Dorsey's performance with Greece and, you know, Lucas playing with Slovenia all later in tonight's pod, along with some player, um, some player uh, previews for this upcoming season. But yeah, no, I mean, I would really enjoy Bogdanovich's fit on the Mavericks and, you know, especially not having to be tied down to him for any sort of money, both him and Conley are expiring. So that's I think what intrigues me the most about those two guys, you know, to an extent, yeah, they're rentals, but if they do good, you can sign them to smaller contracts given their age, you know? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And not to mention,
1: um, you know, I think, I think, like I, we mentioned, I think Conley is like the most gettable guy. Um, but really, like, whenever it comes down to that, like, for Dallas Mavericks' sake, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a playmaker, a ball handler, or another, um, I guess wing?
0: I think the Mavericks need the playmaker the most. I yeah, know. I think that's the most important. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's why, while Conley, you could argue at this point is you know maybe what he showed in the playoffs last year. He could be the worst out of those four players, just value wise. He fits the need that the Mavericks most sorely need, and I think he's the most gettable. I think there's going to be a lot of teams calling for the uh, to the Jazz. Like I'm not saying that it's definitive; the Mavericks gonna be able to get any of these. No, there's gonna be. I mean, even the Lakers. You know, you know, people would say, "Oh, they don't really have much," but you know, I heard them talking about this on the Coop Collective. You want to look more into like. When you're evaluating these certain trades, right, and what teams might be wanting to do, you don't want to just look at what the best package would be for that team. You need to look at what the best package would be for that team, for what they think. And what are the Jazz trying to do right now? What have they shown us throughout these last two trades? They're trying to accumulate draft assets. That's their main purpose right now. And the Mavericks really don't have too much of those. So yeah, it's would it be, be a lot – Easier for the you know Lakers to just throw the huge salary of Russell Westbrook to Danny Ainge and give them both of those 2027-2029 20, 20, first and just say, screw it. Let's see if we can get a de- uh, play to get some depth here. Like the Jazz may be more keen to that deal, even if getting Tim Hardaway Jr. and maybe like you know, throwing a sweetener like a Josh Green or something like that for one of these guys, and a first. Um, maybe that's like a better package, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that that's going to be a better package in terms of what the da- Jazz want. They may be like, okay, well, we're getting an extra first rounder from the Lakers. So, in terms of you know, my message to Mass fans would just be to tread very carefully in terms of what you're sort of, you know, when you start getting optimistic about the Mavericks being able to make a trade with the Jazz because the Jazz, you know, they have all the leverage here. This is their option. They're just trying to accumulate as many first round picks as possible. That's why I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be cautiously optimistic in the sense that I think Conley's the only guy out on the open market who I don't think is commanding a first round pick right now. And, you know, luckily he is probably the best fit-wise with the Mavericks, even though he did, you know, look washed at certain points late in the season last year. But that also, you know, had something to do with a little bit of um, I think he was doing like a foot problem or something. I can't remember. Yeah, somewhere along the line. Specifically. Lunch. But you know, he's a little injured and having to play you know all those games as the secondary ball handler definitely caught up to him in a reduced capacity where he's the third ball handler. We both think he would be a lot better. That's just our opinion. So that's interesting to see going forward. Um, but yeah, like I said, I would just tread very carefully in terms of projecting what the Mavericks could or you know couldn't do in terms of trading with the Jazz because some fans could get upset pretty quickly if you know Bogdanovich, Beasley, let's say, are just gone tomorrow because some team's willing to give up like two, three first-round picks. Like, yeah, heck, yeah. you know, um, that, that's a. If that were the case, like that's just something we can't compete with. No, exactly. Which you know is unfortunate and it sucks, but it is what it is. But no, um, there is reason to be uh, cautiously optimistic, but just tread very carefully because Mavericks, you know, they have some flexibility to make a little bit of a deal here with the Jazz. I don't know what it would be, but they they do have something in the tank. It's just a question if you know these teams, maybe like the Lakers and other competing teams in both the West and East, are going to be able to outbid for these veterans. And you know, I'm not going to look at it like roster by roster and say, oh, who has this, who has that. But you know, you start to go through some of these teams and you realize a lot of them have more draft assets than the Mavericks, especially with the Mavericks not being able to um, trade that 2025 pick right now because they haven't renounced the protections on the 2023 pick. Just a flurry of things that nature but you know let's see how it pans out um, but with that said we'll be back tonight we'll release that in the morning um, our pod tonight um, we're really excited donovan mitchell gets straight to the calves huge swing for the nba make sure to rate us on um, apple Podcasts and spotify you rate us five stars comment um, review or anything you guys would like to do follow us on twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. and th- with that being said thank you for listening this far if you made it this far follow um we really appreciate everything um for you guys who have listened this far and with that being said mainstream maps signing out